Life on the Run, number seven. The byline of my pub book and social media is running and life, life and running. The biggest compromise in my life on the run is the relationship between running and life. In the early years, particularly in the 1980s, it was about running and a little bit of life. In later years, including now, it was about and is about running, being part of life and an important part of life. Life on the run, number eight, tension. There is a tension associated with running. I've had a competing personal, social, family, professional and running priorities. I've been known to skip social events, leave them early, been uncooperative in the organisations and functions involving me and family members. I actually missed my mother's 80th birthday for the European Triathlon, like the 20th, and I've been resentful of social events, even a surprise 25th birthday that was given for me when I thought I was going to a triathlon, the Weiss Miss Ferry in 1985. I have to live with these decisions of being selfish dream life on the run. Number nine, pressure. The only pressure I feel in running is making sure I get the time to go for my run. If I miss runs, even for a short period of time, I'm irritable and I'm not pleasant to be with, nor would I want to be with myself as well. Life on the run, number 10, stress. The stress from running comes from not being able to run. Initially, it was stressed over not accepting I was slowing down or I was being overweight. But now, it's hoping I don't get injured because I don't want to be in a position where I won't be able to run. I do accept there'll be a time when I won't be able to run, but then probably then I'll substitute something else. Life on the run, number 11, effort. In my case, there is a direct relationship to, between effort and injury. The faster I train, the more injured I got, particularly in my 20s. The more effort I put into downhill running, my knee goes. The more effort I put into my uphill running, my hip goes. So I had to find the balance. A bit of a, sh- a cliff young shuffle along flat surface, grass or trails, seems to be the ideal space and place for me to run. There is also a relationship to the level of effort I put into training and the speed of racing. More so in the 1980s. I was able to race about 60 to 90 seconds faster per kilometre than I trained. When I consistently trained at 5 minutes a kilometre, I could run sub 4 minute 5 to 10k races. I found that the effort now is to get the balance right, but I don't like running like an old man, which I am. Life on the run, number 12. Mastery. I've never paid attention to mastery when it comes to running. I just run. Life on the run, number 13, perfection. Perfection is something I've never really aspired to in running. For me, it has always been about the journey. Probably an offshoot of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior book I read in the 80s by Dan Millman and a little bit of dabbling I've done in Zen Buddhism. When it came to achieving my 30-year goal of racing the Ironman, I soon realised the journey was much more important and the focus was to complete, not to compete. And that's why I haven't been too worried about perfection in running. Life on the run, number 14. Anxiety. When I was thinking about pressure and stress earlier, I knew I was soon about to write about anxiety. 
I was very anxious about running the six-foot track race in 2005. The anxiety came from having a cut-off time to finish the run-in and knowing, knowing how close I would be to that time, especially given I, I wasn't able and I chose not to see the course until the race day. I developed a strategy to overcome this anxiety, whereas I was in the second last wave, I made sure I was ahead of the second last sweeper and I knew that gave me a 15-minute buffer to the sweeper who was in the last wave. And consequently, I finished the race with about half an hour to spare. But I do remember my sign-off before that race on uh, my cool running blog at the time. And I said, see you on the other side. And the race was a bit like that. I don't officially run marathons anymore because I don't want the anxiety of looming cutoffs. I basically won't meet them. Life on the run, number 15, sacrifice. The sacrifice in running is not the running. The sacrifice is the life associated with running, especially when it comes to family and friends. Time away from family and non-running friends. Hobbling around at work after a weekend of long, hard runs. Struggling on the stairs, up and down the stairs. Spending the first couple of days dehydrated and not 100% focused on the work. And then there's the generally obsessive behaviour that makes sacrifices I have to do in relation to my friendships, family and colleagues. And they all witness this crazy behaviour soon after a long weekend of running. Life on the run, number 16, faith. In 1999, I was asked to speak at chapel at school. My faith background is Catholic, though I have worked in an Anglican, Uniting, Christian and Catholic schools. To a certain extent, my running is a religion. It is what I do on a Sunday morning when I bother to get up, but I definitely on a Sunday afternoon. It's a meditative experience in the same way that praying is meditative. Needless to say, the address I did in 1999 was focused on how running was my religion. Life on the run, number 17, belief. Running instills in me a belief at so many levels. Running has taught me to believe in the value of patience, something which does not come naturally to me. I believe running and life are intertwined and each mutually benefit each other. and has been part of my life and a treasured part of my life. I'm grateful that I believe in running. Life on the run, number 18. Arrogance. Arrogance is a fierce word. I was arrogant in 1986 due to my running and I was running well. This spilled over into my personal life where I became more self-centred, far too opinionated at work and with my friends due to the confidence that running gave me. Skip forward a couple of decades and I hope this arrogance has been tempered. Life on the run, number 17, 19, creativity. Creativity is not something I usually associate with running, but I can see how running helped me to be creative in my teaching. Cool Running introduced me to the value of sharing, blogging, social media and podcasts, all creative skills I've developed from running which I've applied to my life and work. I'm even on community radio on a Friday afternoon now due to some of the skills I've learned from running and writing and podcasting. Though there were, pretty, there were some pretty creative days when it came to the early days of triathlons because we had no gear, we didn't know what we were doing, there was nothing to read 
and we did things on the smell of an oily rag. It was good fun those days. Life on the run, patience. I mentioned earlier I believe in patience. Patience is the best asset I have developed as a runner. Sensible training, slow running, flat terrain and the introduction of walking and running all I hope will continue for the decades to come for me. Life on the run, 21. Ignorance. Ignorance has been my best asset for running. My first marathon is the best example. If I had bothered to read a book, which were hard to find in 1986, or if I spoke to other marathon runners and I didn't know any, I would have seen that I was going about the whole race the wrong way in my preparation. I went out late the night before. I didn't have any breakfast. I didn't do any drinking on the run. In the first half of the run, I went out in 96 minutes, which put me on a 3.12 marathon pace. And not knowing what bonking was really set me up for a bit of a disaster at 27 k's. And except for the help of some friends who probably illegally gave me a can of Coke, I finished with my marathon PP of 3 hours 42 minutes. Ignorance can be a blessing sometimes. Life on the run, number 22, time. Time has always been my friend when it comes to running. I don't subscribe to the views often sprouted by those who, who say they don't have enough time. I'm not as busy as other people, but I am busier than some others. I have made running a priority and I make time for it. The best thing I did was to break the conventional thinking about running. I don't care if I run after eating. Running at night provides me with more options so I can get my running in, especially since I don't like getting up in the morning. Often in winter, I walk, would walk around the house with my tracksuit on, a few layers and jumpers, and this makes it easy for me to get out the door if the inclination arises because I only have to put shoes on. I might finish a run at midnight, have a shower, watch the news, or go to bed. I get up as late as possible and then evaluate when and where I'm going to run the next day. Time is a friend and I just try to be flexible with it by having micro, daily to weekly, meso, monthly and macro yearly cycles to running and time. That sounds a little bit scientific, doesn't it? Oh well. Life on the run, number 23. Change. This is an interesting concept when it comes to running. I have, I have my set courses. I have the Penno West Run. The trail runs, the Penno Road semi-trailer run before they open North Connects and my courses are at Avoca and Main Beach when I go there. These rarely change. I know the distances where I should be and at what time I should be at certain locations and I know when I get home how much time I need for stretches to get on with the next thing in my life. But then I like running on different courses with different people and in different locations and places. The area in which I'm more accepting of change is in how I run with this goal, that I can continue to run for many years to come. In the last 12 years, I've found six kilometres the perfect distance for me to run. It's now at about 42 to 45 minutes of running. I changed it up a bit to add two kilometres at the end to eight kilometres for about an hour of exercise. Soon I changed it up again to add two minutes of running at the beginning of kilometres seven and eight. I then changed this to 300 metres of running the beginning of each of these kilometres, which is based on about two minutes of running. And it was easy for me to judge on the road, especially at night when I turned it into metres rather than time. When I can, I run each day and I realise that my body um, could not sustain this. So I adopted what I call the day two approach to running, 
it's not actually a sequential day, but it's a sort of a day in which I actually um, run in a way where I run and walk. I run six to seven kilometres in an hour with every kilometre with a 300 metre run. I have to work pretty hard to get to seven kilometres in the hour and this is a nice goal for me to push to. Change is a friend and I need to see how best works for me and my running. And the final life on the run observation I want to share in this segment of the podcast is number 24, better. Initially when I started running I wanted to get better at my times. This happened quite quickly in the 1980s. I peaked in 1986, then went backwards because I wasn't racing as much. Better times equated to more racing. As I approached my 40s, I realised I was struggling with getting better and I had to change what I was doing to get better in other aspects of my running. At this point, my focus became more getting better at running longer and slower while at the same time ensuring longevity in my running. Well, I hope you enjoyed those 18 observations of running and I will come back starting with number 25 soon. That's life on the run from Plume. Take care everyone.